coming here today? What do you want? I want you to come get in the truck, pack up your stuff, and we'll go pick up the camper and drive away. Where does your pet think you are right now? Out at the grocery store? Picking up a movie for tonight? She has no idea. She has no idea that you're here to ask me to Don't run away with you. Welcome to The Savvy Girl's Guide to Heartbreak Survival, a podcast dedicated to those of us who have had our lives shattered by betrayal and are determined to get up off our kitchen floors, put away the vodka, and find meaning and joy and vibrancy in our lives again. I'm your host, Savvy Girl. Let's get into it. Just look scared. You just look scared. Right. And you always kept me from being scared. I don't want to be scared. You've just bludgeoned me. You've let another woman bludgeon me, and you didn't care. I mean, what, what am I, how am I meant to interpret that? I owe her Go money. on her Facebook page and look at the love affair unfolding before my eyes. <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. Yeah. Yet here I am, sitting here telling you to she get She doesn't in the know that. She will. Okay, this might be an important time for me to interject that I am injured. I am angry. I am hurt. I am outraged, but mostly just hurt at the betrayal. And I need to be careful in this podcast to not confuse my mission of trying to guide other people through betrayal as a a weapon against the two people who I feel harmed me. I want you to know that I have a responsibility to keep my anger in check and not expose my husband or his adulteress in such a way that possibly diminishes what I'm trying to accomplish here. She hasn't every single fucking day you've come over here. We have been in- Yes, she has. She knew I came over here the other day. She doesn't understand that we've been in contact the- whole time. You're probably texting me from her bed when she goes to the bathroom to wipe your sperm off of her. Exactly. I have texted you in every possible situation you can imagine at any time. What does that tell you? This is my husband and I discussing his mistress or adulteress. At this recording, he had been with her about seven months and we get together every couple of days or so to discuss if we have a chance to get back together. This was one of those discussions. This is it. You either come with me or I let you go. I'm not doing it anymore. I, I love you. I've gone back and forth like a ping pong ball on this a million times. No, you haven't. In your opinion, in my opinion... No, you've never left her. Not I ever. have left her four times during this event. No, For not over really. a week. No, oh my God, no. She's calling you constantly. Who cares? That's what people do when you dump somebody. No, when you dump them, you let them go. No well, more contact, please. I'm married. I'm working on my marriage. She never gave us that space. Not ever. About a year ago, my husband started an affair with a woman who I'll refer to in this podcast as his pet, his adulteress, or most often, the she pig. The recording you're listening to happened a couple of months ago when my husband came around in one of our many attempts to reconcile and move forward. And he asked me to jump in the truck and drive away with him, essentially just run away from the adulteress. He was pretty convinced that he could move forward in a life with me and never think of her again. And I believe that he probably was capable of that. The problem was twofold. One, I couldn't extrapolate her from my mind or heart. She was so embedded in there. But secondly, I needed to understand how did this affair happen so that I could be ensured that it wouldn't happen again. I have to know what happened there. If you don't know what happened there, I know what happened happened there. I know exactly what happened there. I fucked up and I didn't know how to fix it. You went back and forth, back and forth. What my husband's referring to here about me going back and forth is true. When he first confessed his infidelity to me, I was gobsmacked. I was ill-prepared. I never saw this coming in our marriage. I was happily invested in a 
rocking chair till we die kind of love affair. I wrote a book last year called Savvy Girl's Guide to Heartbreak Survival. And in it, I detail three phases that the heartbroken person is going to go through before they can get to true healing. And the first phase is panic. And I would say that in the first four months or so of his confession, I was panicked. I was bewildered. I was in grief and howling at the moon. And usually I was drunk. And so when he says, you went back and forth, it's because I could never fully run to him unfettered because he was still attached to her. He never came to me unfettered. He never came to me and said, I'm giving her up. I want you. This is ridiculous. Let's get on with it. It was always, I'll give her up once you agree to be with me. Well, throughout the year, maybe five or six times, I did agree to those terms. But every single time, like Lucy with a football, I was the dope Charlie Brown running for the football and he'd pull it out and I'd land on my ass because he never let go of her or he allowed her to whisper, snort in his ear and pull him back. You didn't chase me. She chased me and my ego took over because she said everything she was supposed to say and got her claws in me and set up all the family stuff. And That's not what stopped me from coming to you. What stopped me from coming to you is you weren't doing that. Okay, I can hear all of the warriors listening to this podcast screaming in rage that he has the audacity to lay the blame at our lack of reconciliation at my feet, that I wasn't willing to be a seductress, a worshiper, a, a healer of him, a comfort to him. I mean, most of the first four months, I was on the ground. I was, dr I was drinking vodka from a straw. I'm the love of your life. I'm your future. I'm everything. I've destroyed you, devastated you. Fucking fight for me. You can't beat somebody to a pulp and then tell them to get up and make you dinner. I'm I didn't sorry, ask you, you to make me that. dinner. You, no, you can't beat I somebody up. I know it's a metaphor. And then ask them to adore you and receive you. And I'm hurt. You have consequences. I'll add here that I secretly recorded this conversation because so many of our conversations throughout that past year were confusing and bewildering. I would be bombarded with theories and information and lies and partial truths about what was happening and how we could get back together and his feelings towards this pig. And I didn't even know what to trust. So while he didn't know he was being recorded at the time, I did get his permission later to use this recording in my podcast. Either just tell me to go or get in the car. One of the two. But I don't understand what you're offering. I'm not offering anything. I'm offering me from, from this point forward. But you have been a cruel yes, I abuser have. to me. Yes, I have. So what's my incentive to go get in that truck? You love me, and you said I was your future, and I took everything from you, and I'm offering to get it back. I don't know who you are. The only thing I is know what you're capable of now. I've always told you that. I'm cold. So what? I get in the truck, and you do it again to me. I also have to take the risk of you being assaulted by every one of your people, and them talking you That's out of it. only because you'll do it out of order. If you'd gone to talk to all those people, every one of them would have given your blessing. Or at least understood what you were trying to do. Yes, you won't might. do that. You want to take the shortcuts. You want to hide behind my skirt. You want me to take the bullets. You're for not... your indiscretion. I'll take all the bullets too. Don't worry. But you're asking me to cut it off so I won't take any. It's like my bulletproof vest will be on. I won't have to listen to anything except from your people. They're not going to be mad at you. They're going to be mad at me. And then they're going to be mad at you. And then they're going to be mad at both of us. I didn't choose to get in the truck that day, even though it's exactly what I wanted. I had wanted him for seven months to leave the fucking pig, join me, and let's run away together and start over. But I couldn't do it for two reasons. The first was the people he refers to as my people consist of a loyal band of sassy, intelligent girlfriends who I call the warriors. And I could hear them in the back of my head during this encounter with him saying, don't do it. You can't trust it. He's not worthy. And even though I didn't believe that or anyway, I didn't want to believe that, I could hear them saying it. But the second reason had to do with 
When I asked him, what am I going to get out of this? Why should I go get in that truck? His answer was, because you love me. So what's my incentive to go get in that truck? And as a betrayed person, I needed to hear him say, because I'm in love with you, because I fucked this up and you're the star of my universe and I want you back and I can't stop thinking about you and you're who I want in my life. But it's not what he said. He said, you want me, therefore you should get in the truck. And I found that alarming and it scared me. And so I didn't get in the truck that day. Here's the thing. Here's why it's nothing. None of this is a game. This is Pia, one of my warriors. She's also a licensed family therapist. She came by a couple of nights ago to help me understand how I can stop my now ex-husband from harming me. I am still so invested in that adulterous relationship. His lover still feels like an interloper to me. And I'm very harmed by his ongoing relationship with her and his daily text to me about still wanting me back and how he misses me and what can he do to get out of that relationship and be with me, et cetera, et cetera. So she was offering me some insights. Full disclosure, we had been drinking when I recorded this. I'm thinking that everything's a game. No. So I've been playing no. a game that I didn't even know I was on the board for. Okay. For the past year. I want to correct that. Your power does not lie in winning the game and playing chess. Your power comes from rising above the game and not giving a fuck. Do give a fuck. And that's the thing. Once you don't give a fuck anymore, you can walk on fucking water. And none of this shit matters. And that's rising above the game. Pia was proposing that I completely cut him off. Not like a mic drop, but more like a fade to black. Just stop responding to his text because he was still writing in, even at the divorce, which was like a week ago, he was like, well, we have to have this so that we can start completely over. Like he saw it as a beginning, not an ending. And honestly, I don't know how your betrayal is going, but I wanted to hear those things from him. I wanted to see him fight for me, to come running to me saying, no, what you believed all this time was true. We are the we, we are the love set apart. But that's not what was happening because of course, he's still in his relationship with the adulterous pig. As long as you're playing the game... And I'm not a game player, so I suck at it. But as long as you're playing, quote unquote, a game, you are confined to the rules of the game. I think Pia's right here. From the time that my husband confessed his affair, I felt that from that moment forward, the two of them dictated the terms of my marriage. Once you get so powerful within yourself that you don't need to play a game, it doesn't matter anymore because you don't give a fuck. And now that, my friend, is true power. When you find self-love... I can't imagine a future where thinking of him being with her, I won't give a fuck. I cannot see that. It will happen. That will happen. I promise you, you can't see it now because you're on the board. You're in the game. You're in the matrix right now. What is that, that line in the matrix? It's not the spoon that bends, it's your mind. Once you get there, all of this shit goes away. The path to there is to cut off I have the to do noise. That for me. That's my point. I have to do it for me. I told you, you know, I told you the story like when I heard the book, The Greatest Bluff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the most powerful thing in that book was that she, she had a trigger and she couldn't block the trigger. And so she got noise cancellation headphones. And your noise cancellation headphones is to not have any contact. And you can't hear the bullshit, and you won't fall for the bullshit. I won't hear the bullshit. That's when you get that, and then you find you're no longer, you know, a, a Bambi on ice, 
once you get there and you find your power, none of this shit matters anymore. But to get from Bambi on ice to not giving a fuck, it's a process. (laughs) (laughs) Have some grace. And that involves learning to love yourself and not hearing shit all the time about how much he misses you and wants you back and texting and all that shit. It's got to stop. That is where you have power over that. You can stop that so you can get a break. That's what you need. What Pia and I are talking about here is that from the first day of confession, when we sort of separated to try to figure it out, I thought we were fighting for the marriage, but he just saw it as a free pass to have fun with his adulterous babysitter. He never stopped contacting me, texting me, calling me, emailing me, showing up, pebbles on my window in the middle of the night, begging for me to not let him go. I wanted that. I wanted him pursuing me, but it never felt like a true pursuit because you see, he was still living in the middle of her life. He would send me these texts from the epicenter of her world, from her bed. He would be sending me these secret texts. I became the secret, the wife. I was the wife and I became his secret. And two things bothered me about that. I know that I should be bothered about more than two things. But the two things are this. One, he would never leave her. So I could never trust in what he was sending me, even though it's what I wanted to hear and it's what I wanted to believe in. I could never rest in it because he always was still living a life and playing with her. The second thing that I wanted out of that was I wanted her to know that he was in love with me and that he would never love her the way he loved me and that in fact he wanted out but wasn't exactly sure how to do it. I wanted a victory over this woman who was really horrifying to me. She was the type of woman who showed no contrition, no humility about reaching into my marriage and snatching out my husband and she was proud of beating me. She was publicly posting pictures and claiming him as her beloved. And when my divorce papers came through to her house, she toasted the demise of my marriage. She was difficult for me to have any kind of compassion or intellectual separation from her to acknowledge her as a broken, wounded human. I wanted to fucking beat her. It no longer becomes about him. Or fucking her. It will become about you. and It's like I'm the one in a relationship with her. Honestly, she's in my dreams. Okay, even drunk, I can tell that Pia's being very patient with me here. And this patience wasn't just unique to Pia. All of the warriors in my life questioned my focus on the sheep pig, wondering why I wasn't placing the bulk of the blame at my husband's feet. I would say to the warriors out there listening to this podcast, those of us who have been betrayed, I think in some ways it's easier to blame the imposter because we're still in love with the person who's betrayed us and it's harder to indict them. That's really the only thing I can come up with at this point in my healing of why I sort of protected him from the brunt of my rage. And of course, this angst was exacerbated because the sheep pig in my life was so taunting and cruel. So you will start feeling such relief, like your anxiety anxiety will go down. I need that. You will start seeing who you are again. I like me. Yes. I'm like awesome. You are amazing. Thank you. I know. You're welcome. I'm exhausted. I fought hard for 14 months. I know you did. That's a long time. And guess what happened in those 14 months? Every battle that I girded myself up for, I fucking lost. And then who danced on top of me and pissed on me and put up social media pictures like, I win. She has no idea who she's feeling. Okay, I am pretty heartily tipsy here, but in full disclosure, I rant against the sheep pig all the time. Honestly, the warrior should start a drinking game where I have to take a shot every time I bring her up. 
This is not your concern, she told me once. When I called her, because he begged me to call her. Get me out of this, oh my God, help me. So I call her. I'm like, oh, he's miserable. We gotta let go, he wants out. This is not your concern. I'm like, what are you fucking doing to my husband? Like, you're an adulteress, you're the interloper. And then he, what does he do? He grabs the phone from me. No, no, it's gonna be okay, babe. Isn't that hysterical that they call each other babe and I call them the heat babe Because <laughs> you know, babe's the pig. That movie. It's so ironic. I even discussed this with my husband five million times at how outrageous it is that an adulteress can reach into a family. I mean, it wasn't just my husband and I who are affected. We have five children between us. We have parents and family and friends who care. A betrayal doesn't happen between two people in the dark in the secret, sweating and grunting alone. It's a fault line to an earthquake that reverberates into lives far beyond what the selfish lovers consider, for sure. She should have consequences for what she's done to me. She won't ever. She just gets to skate away and be a happy fucking pig. She can do anything she wants. She's financially secure. I'm talking about her conscience, her personhood, her character. You can't control how she feels. You gotta let that go. I'm just saying I'm astonished as one human being looking at another human being and how she just walks away with squealing pig and with her little tail curled up in her. That's what'll happen probably and she'll just go on with her life. She's going to get no consequence for this. You have to deal with that. She reached into my life and has, has shattered. And that's exactly how it felt. It was a shattering. I'm a rule follower. I'm a person who believes in good versus evil and that good should win. But in my story, the bad guys won. And that's really difficult for me to reconcile. Talk to me about how people in my position have been betrayed. We sit at home alone and say, oh my God, I have been completely erased. Mm -hmm. And now my husband is in this new relationship and he's having the fucking time of his life. How do we stop those forecasts? You can't cheat grief. Nobody can cheat grief. You might get into a new relationship and think you can cheat the grief by finding a new person, but it's only waiting for you. Grief just waits for you. I'm not in it with her because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm thinking of you. Sure, you're a secret with her. My husband has told me things like this through the entire year. You're always in my mind. I can't get rid of you. I can't stop loving you. And I hang on to those things because, of course, that's what a person wants to hear. I've been rejected. I need to hear that he does love me and that she is inconsequential. But maybe Pia's right. Maybe him telling me these things was just him grieving me. Maybe this is how he managed what it felt like to lose me. But he certainly landed pretty padded in her pig arms. But you can't do enough drugs to run. You can't gamble it away. You can't fuck it away. You can't drink it away. It's right there when you wake up. It's right there as soon as you're alone. It's right there when you go to the bathroom and you have a moment in the shower by yourself. It's right there, right underneath the surface. I mean, you could, I guess you could stay drunk. I tried it. <laughs> I had to get four months of solid drunkenness. Did it, did you cheat grief? Did no, it, of course I didn't. Right, you couldn't run from it, right? No, I couldn't run. I couldn't get off the floor. So, so metaphorically, a new relationship is not the dopamine and the oxytocin. It's not going to be powerful enough to override your grief. It will pop in. But we're assuming that the people who left us are grieving. Here's what happens. It's that A, when you don't heal, you you go from relationship to relationship to relationship. You're trying to outrun grief in some sense because we're all wounded. You're making an assumption that your ex is not wounded. But you're thinking that somehow you have to deal with yours, but he doesn't have to deal with his. And 
other people can kind of just kind of skip over it. I just want to be guaranteed that I matter to him in some kind of way, and he's off on weekend getaways with a pig. It's hard for me to reconcile that. I know this is going to be really hard to understand. Maybe you will understand this in another two years or one year. And here I flipped Pia off because she's always telling me this kind of thing. Oh, just wait another 12 months. It's six months down the road you'll feel, oh, wait till two years. It was always out of reach, this relief I was looking for, for this abject pain I always found myself in. I know. You can give me the fuck finger. It's fine. <laughs> your, your, your focus is off, right? Because your focus is right now external on him and what he's doing and from the outside it looks like it's just a time of his life. There's a lot of social media pictures to substantiate my claim. Okay. Hundreds of and them. And I understand, I understand the part of you that wants to be defended, that wants to be seen, that doesn't want to be discarded. None of us want to be abandoned, right? But what you don't understand is that we all have to deal with all of our shit and none of us can run from it. It will catch up. His might look differently, you might not get to see it, but that's not even the point of the journey. The point of the journey is for you to find your power and become so powerful and solid in who you are that it won't even matter to you. It matters to me right now. It does right now. And it's mattered for a long time. Yes. I can't foresee a future where it won't matter. I want it not to. I just don't know how to get there. Pia tried to assure me that, you know, this is all a process and that there really aren't any wrong moves, but I just kept drinking. The rage that I direct to the sheep pig, I think maybe I'm using that as a distraction mm -hmm. to sit with the real grief of the loss of a beloved husband, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just easier for me to have this action of rage and anger and the injustice of it all, I raise my fist against it, you know, to not sit with, look, I'm devastated at this loss of a man who was the world to me. In the beginning of grief, you, it has to be externalized. It's too painful no, you can't hold it. to have it, hold it inside, mm -hmm. right? It has to be her fault, his fault, mm -hmm. all of this stuff, right? Which puts you on the metaphorical game board. Right? I'm oh, playing yeah. a game. Yeah. I want to win. Mm -hmm. There are pieces of me that feel, like you said, I'm looking for justice. I'm looking for um, I'm, you know, all the jealousy and pettiness and all of that stuff that just boils to the surface. On the game board, you know what my role is? I'm the victim. I mean, you're already going to lose in that position. Yes. So maybe part of the grief is to move through all of the, you know, there's the, the victim, the perpetrator, and the rescuer, right? Those are the three-piece parts. So maybe part of the game, being on the game board, is when you try on each one of these roles, right? What did I do? How did I fuck up yeah, my yeah. marriage? Now I am the perpetrator, mm -hmm. right? I did something mm -hmm. to cause this. Or I'm the victim. This was done to me. Yes. And then the rescuer, he's asking you to be the rescuer, mm -hmm. right? Help me, help me, help me. I gotta help him, right? So we try on all these personas. That's being on the game board. Okay, I know that you already see Pia as a badass, but what she's about to say next is going to make you fall madly in love with her. Don't say I didn't warn you. Instead, if you can sit back for just a moment and say, what does he represent? What is it in me that's so much like this person? And what is it about her, the feelings that come up? And what is it mirroring back to me? What does it say about me? Not about them, about me. Mm -hmm. And what is it that I have such a hard time looking at in myself 
in this process of being utterly human? And what is it that I so admire out here? Because once you do that, and that is the hardest thing to do, you probably cannot do it until like a year out. There we go. So when you can do that, when you can step aside from yourself and you can actually look at yourself, it's hard to do. It's hard to look at yourself and go, oh shit, I don't like this part of me, right? So I alienate it and I suppress it because I do not like this part of myself. It makes me feel weak and we don't like weakness. We like being powerful. Your power comes in integrating the softest, most tender part of yourself and loving yourself for being all of it. That's where your power comes. I think what Pia is trying to say here, and I'm not positive because it's complicated and she's also more evolved than I am, is that if I'm willing to look at the two people on my board as not friends, but certainly a mirror, certainly a way to reflect what is hurting in me, it becomes less a struggle, which is what I felt myself in this whole bloody time of I'm pulling on him, she's pulling on him, he's facing her, but she sees me over his shoulder and I stay in that struggle, that tension of that triangle I created. If I could see them as having something to say that will guide me in a way that will make me more fully human or able to heal and move forward or more compassionate and tender towards myself and those vulnerable squishy parts that Pia's talking about, then I actually do get off the game board because suddenly I'm learning something from them and they're not my enemies. They're not against me and they lose all their power that I've, I've given them. I mean, they rule my universe, right? I'm able to disarm my combative sort of sense of me running forward in a, a battle of injustice and I carry the breastplate of righteousness, right? If I can stop doing that, stop attacking what they're trying to teach me, maybe finally I will understand that all along I've always had the power and that I am enough and I can learn from them, even though they're not even trying to teach me, they're just trying to, you know, go off and fucking feel good and bury their own self-worth issues but they're gonna teach me something that I can carry forward and pass along. That's power. You're in my head all the time, every day. But you didn't want me. Yes, you I... threw me away. You I... kicked me aside. You stomped on me. I don't understand that part. So let's say that I do learn how to live like Pia and I'm able to transform my pain and anger and frustration at them into something that's worthy inside of me. What do I do about the rejection? Every person who's been betrayed feels this shame and chasm of self-worth because we've been rejected. We have been publicly rejected and replaced by somebody that we may look at and think, how can that even be equal? What do we do about that part? I mean, how are we ever going to get to forgiveness? Pia, what do you have to say about that? Once you look at yourself and you accept that you're right here because you're supposed to be right here, mm -hmm. that is when you leave the matrix. But what does that have to do with forgiveness? What am I forgiving myself for? You're forgiving yourself for... Hanging around in there so long? around for feeling weak, forgiving yourself for wanting somebody who doesn't want you, forgiving yourself for all of the soft parts of you that love so deeply in a world that has taken from you. You have to forgive yourself for all of the thoughts that you've spent on this. When you can look at Savvy Girl in the mirror and say, I love you with all of that. You did the best you could with what you had. I love you for all, and now I get teary-eyed, for all of the weak moments in your life. When you do that, you get off the game board. Then you're done. Not because you're strong and you've told people off and you don't take shit. 
That's not what gives your true power. When you can look at yourself and you can say, I did the very best I could with what I had. I love me for that because I was tender and kind and loving and strong and messy. It's messy. And I don't know how to walk in this world as perfect. Once you can do that, game's over. That's it. Okay, I want you. I want you to go with me. I want us to figure this out. And if we do it ourselves, we'll figure it out. I really wanted to get in the truck with him that day. Honestly, emotionally, I am in the truck with him still. I haven't been able to let him go. I still lack the autonomy of my own power that my friend Pia is talking about. But once you get through it though, and you find your own power, then you're unstoppable. And that's the point of the whole thing is to find your power. But I think we, of course we need other people. It's ridiculous to say anything else. No, I don't want to be isolated. I want the warriors. Right. But I think once you get through it, you value yourself in a different way. And then... You won't put up with shit coming. Exactly. Because now you're no longer going to accept people because you're afraid of being abandoned. Right. And that's where your power lies. I hope I find the power that Pia's talking about, but honestly, I think I'm just looking for justice. I talk about this in my book, and I'm gonna read a little excerpt to explain the devastation I felt at losing him. I mean, yes, I'm the one who chose not to get in the truck, it's true, but he's the one who chose not to let go of her. Here's the excerpt from my book, and it comes right after a part I write about the reasons that he stayed with her over me. Quote, I placed these reasons on the scale of meaning, her attributes on one side, the depth of a cherished marriage on the other, and could find no sense of proportion. Her side was fluff, childish, frivolous even. He gave up a life with me, savvy girl, for a fine meal at a trendy restaurant where he didn't have to pick up the tab. I felt so belittled just then that my contribution to our marriage, our lives together was so insignificant that he would trade it in for a fancy new guitar that she bought him, that I was that easy to replace. End quote. And I think that's the part that I get stuck on. That's the part where I can never really feel powerful. He offered me a choice to get in the truck that day and I chose not to. But I knew if I got in the truck, she was going to be sitting between us. And honestly, that's where things sit today. Emotionally, even though I'm divorced now and we're allegedly living these separate lives, I still feel betrayed. I still feel that she's smashed between us. And her presence there is so oppressive to me and unjust. That even though I know Pia's right about letting things go and sitting with the grief and living through the rage, that I can get to my power, I don't know. Maybe I'll never feel powerful about this. Maybe I'll just always be that girl that he met in the library who lost the love of her life. I know this. I have been the best person I've ever been in my life when I've been with you. Look, we all came into this podcast understanding that love is impossibly enduring and fatally illogical. Okay, there's actually nothing we can do about that. But what did we learn here today? We learned that we can't skip grief, that we'll never get off the game board until we learn to accept that the players on the board are there to teach us something, that raging against injustice and howling against the pain of cruelty against us likely won't get us to the healing. We learned that if we accept the soft, vulnerable, squishy parts of us, we actually will be able to harness true power. And maybe that's the power of those of us who have been betrayed. We wear a secret Supergirl cape because we have been harmed in the most primal and devastating way. And yet we want to stand back up and soar. We want to face the world with authentic, powerful love. So that's it then. Meet me here next time. And remember, you are not alone.
Savvy Girl Podcast is brought to you by The Warriors. Music used by permission from Hassan Chat, solo violin. Thank you.